0: Hello and welcome back to a very special episode of The Pilgrim's Podcast. My name's Archie and joining me today is Mark Lovell, Tom Kirk, Chris Allen and Plymouth Argyle Chairman Simon Hallett. All right, welcome back to part two. Now, Simon, in part one we spoke extensively about the period of Schumacher's departure, but now we get to focus on something a bit more positive. The hiring of uh, Ian Foster. Now, before we go into the about that, uh, something that does interest me, and we spoke about it at the start of the pod, the 2019 reset, if you like. And I'd be really interested to know, and I appreciate a lot of it might be confidential, the difference between the hiring process of Ryan Lowe to Ian Foster and how the club has changed, how what you were offering and also demanding of your applicants had changed
1: ah well the club have clearly changed a great deal in the Mm. last um four or five years but what we were asking if the applicant hadn't changed um we had very simple the the structure i like to use quite often in making decisions when if you're trying to make a choice you're you're trying to hire somebody or invest in something but you when you're basically seeking something Mm. that you that has attributes you list those attributes that are necessary those attributes that are desirable non-desirable and disqualifying and You have to have the necessary attributes. You have not to have the disqualifying attributes. And then you'd you'd like to have quite a few of the desirable ones and not too many of the undesirable ones. So we wrote down a dozen, maybe 15 things that we thought ranged from necessary to disqualifying. And, um, you know, as applicants came in, we kind of made guesses about whether they had them or used our knowledge about whether they had them. And, you know, you end up with a fairly short list. And that was the same process that we used with Ian Foster. Mm. So, I mean, I don't have the necessary qualifications in front of me, but, you know, a desirable one, for example, would be that they live in Plymouth. You could argue that it's necessary, but we, in the case of Ryan, decided it would be desirable, but not necessary. A necessary one would be that they have a 21st century approach to their employers to footballers. A lot of managers just think of footballers as commodities and lumps of meat. And we wanted somebody who would be empathetic towards their situations. You know, they're young men with partners and often children. Uh, we thought it was necessary that we have somebody who was media savvy. Mm-hmm. Um, we thought it was desirable that we have somebody who played attacking football. We thought it was desirable that we have somebody who was prepared to bring on youth players now arguably some of those and I could have miscategorized I'm just trying to give you a yeah. flavor and arguably some of those that I've said are desirable are both necessary given how our strategy has evolved to be you know heavily dependent on both players coming from the academy and on developing a pool of young players that we've actually paid transfer fees for so we had a short list I think in the case of uh, Ryan and Shui we had a short list of four in the case of Ian, uh, we had a short list of three and I, it, it is confidential who the other two were.
0: From the outside looking in, my assumption would be, and this might be nonsense, that the club is a lot more data-driven than it was yeah. when Ryan was appointed. And we, we speak about that reset, but for, uh, for me it looked like it took two years for that yeah. data approach, at least on transfers, to start. I think of that summer when Scar, Wilson, Gillespie yeah. came in, that seemed like a real big shift. And to be honest, like when Lowe came in, if we're being honest, he got he got half the Burry team to come with him. Yeah. So I yeah. guess now my my question to you is, was that a much bigger part of the interview, that dependence on data, or that willingness to work with data?
1: Uh, a willingness to work with data would have been one of the necessary qualifications. Mm. I think you know what what you learn though is that you can't really tell how much people embrace the use of data until you see them in action right. i mean d- data analytics is a subset of decision making, and you know my expertise, if it's anywhere, is in decision science and I, I say expertise it's acquired from books, not from any academic setting i'm not a professional, but i've been a big consumer of decision science research for 25 years actually nearly 30 years Um, and when I came to the club when I became chairman I said look we will put in place proper corporate governance structures that mean I'm not going to interfere on the football side the only thing that I do insist on is the only thing that I know anything about which is decision making and we have to become better at making decisions broadly and on the football side as anywhere else that means using facts not gut feel and data is just facts you know, there's. I think people often think that data is all about xg and post shot, you know, shots on target and all this kind of stuff, and it that that's part of it. But it's really about using facts to make decisions, and that process for managers is really about you know determining in advance what you're looking for, and then not being swayed by. You know the calls that people make, or the calls that agents make, but say, "This is what we're looking for." These people don't meet the criteria. So as simple as that. Was
0: that a rare moment of so, you putting your foot down because you've been very modest thus far? That's
1: the that's the that's the only thing that I've said is not negotiable. Really, that
0: we become more data oriented. So wow, in five um, years, so the way, the, in five years, Simon, that's one thing. Uh,
1: yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think it is actually.
0: <laughs> so' I'm making you doubt yourself, now. <laughs> I mean. The board
1: makes decisions, you know, and I try to structure board meetings so that, you know, I mean, one simple thing that you do when you make, when you're the chairman of a board is that you give your opinion last. Otherwise people tend to be swayed by you. Mm. So I, if there's something that I'm pretty sure I want, I'll give my opinion first, <laughs> but other people are free to disagree and we will go with the board. So the way, the way it works, I'm, I'm going to get the time time frame wrong, but my My experience in investing and what I know about sports more generally is that your competitive advantage doesn't lie in what you know about decision making or data analytics. It lies in whether you can get the people who are going to use that, those processes to adopt them. And in investing, as in football, there's a culture that, you know, we make decisions with our gut that it's about individual geniuses, that processes just inhibit genius, blah, blah, blah. So in football, it's even worse than in investing. And in investing, it took me, you know, 20 years to kind of iterate to a point where, you know, I think we're reasonably good at decision making. So, but by that time, I was confident that, you know, I was right, which I'm I'm an investment guy. We live in a cloud of uncertainty. Hmm. Um, uh, But I was confident that this would help us make better decisions. And the use of facts is now much more prevalent throughout the club. So Christian Kent, who now runs the stadium and mm. is responsible for the concessions on a match day, you know now can look at his iPhone and see that we're short of pasties at concession 17 and long of them at concession 9, and he'll get somebody to take a dozen pasties from concession 9 to concession 17. You know Stuff like that. Mm. We're no longer winging it. Um, the way it happened in recruitment was that initially we didn't have a data analyst of our own, so we hired a group called 21st Group. Who um, you can Google and see that they're very they're very good at how to use data, how to structure boards, how to structure football clubs, and so on. After uh, four or five months of using them, we realised that they were better suited to the boardroom than they are to the dressing room. And Neil helped identify a group called Market Insights. They really got the attention of our football people and helped the football people buy into uh, you know a proper data driven recruitment process. Um, after a couple of years of them, we decided that we needed somebody on site right. to you know, constant drumbeat. So Ross joined mm. and we've got Jimmy Dickinson on recruiting. So
0: regarding Neil Juicenip, he's he's fully on board then with that. Cause for, again, from the outside looking in, you could easily class him as a bit of an old school, been around the block football kind of yeah, guy.
1: Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's how I, that's how I classify him. <laughs> um, I love Neil by the way. And I said that to him. So, <laughs> every now and then we'd make a decision i'm like really another data driven decision to hire an england under 19 international really <laughs> you know <laughs> but you know as it happens most 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 of the you know young kids at premier league clubs who are prepared to come on loan to plymouth have played <laughs> for england mm. so i'm i'm not going to tell you that our decision-making is 100% driven by data. I mean, it probably never will be. You know, what we've done is we've put quantitative data on every position on the pitch. And we then, Ross has built a model to identify players throughout the world that are best suited. Then we check on their characters. You know, it it is a necessary uh, criterion that you not be a knobhead. Mm. So, you know, we use Neil's contacts, other people's contacts to check on people's personalities um the way you know the way it can work is that they know somebody they want to bring in and they'll use the data to confirm it which is where i start to get a little bit queasy because one of the big issues that you have is confirmation bias Mm, mm. so uh, as i say we're not entirely data centric but data forms an important part of the decision making and neil neil absolutely accepts that and actually the fa and the coaching courses have a lot of data analytics and actually decision-making modules in them. So a lot of the players who have pro licenses have been through academic work on decision-making, which I think is great. I just wish more people took note. Well, I don't wish actually. I (laughs) hope nobody takes any notice of it and it's just us. Chris? Yeah, there's two things. I think
2: one is it was interesting. We we pointed it out that one of the first things – Ozzy Foster said when he came in was like, I love the data, but I'm getting the team to understand how I like to use it. So yes. sort of hints to your point, but there's the data and then there's a personal way of interpreting it. But the other piece yes. that if, you know, you've followed the club in your tenure is it, you also need infrastructure as well. You have the data in the world if you like, but if you've got a leaky changing room and a pitch that doesn't yeah.
1: work. Uh, absolutely. So yeah, absolutely.
2: That, that really seems to have come up in the last year or two that,
1: well it's it's no it's been from the very beginning actually um of my involvement you know i when i first became a sh- well, the second time i be- when i think my shareholding moved from 20 to 40 it was to finance the purchase of home park back from the council and then basically as we funded the grandstand i took you know more uh, james got diluted and i ended up you know then buying him out but the emphasis has always been on the infrastructure the uh, 21st group actually have this concept of a club ceiling you know there are some clubs that don't have simply don't have the infrastructure to support the revenues and the facilities that you need to be a championship club you know and i'm I'm not going to name names but you know if you if you're getting two or three thousand people in your ground with a capacity of four thousand you're never going to have the revenues required to even have a chance in the championship Mm -hmm. so we've been investing in the grandstand, which is now, you know, fantastic revenue generator and a better experience for fans. We've been investing in buying back higher home park, you know, which is now a fan zone, which I thoroughly recommend to everybody. I don't know where you have a beer before games. Now, Tom, hmm. which one, which one, there's now one out. There's now one outside the ground on the higher home park. Not, not inside. the. Yeah. Park. I've been, i, I um, it. Good yeah. sure. it is good. It is, yeah. Um, We've, you know, obviously invested in making home park a better place to be for the fans and a better place to be for the players, and you know this is completely contrary to football mantra that you only it's only worth spending on the pitch. Simon, you know, the only thing that anybody cares about is results. It's simply not true. Um, the four years, I think, to 19, 20, 21, 22 to twenty two, we finished both seasons seventh in League One after a failed playoff push. And it's not quite a natural experiment, not quite an A-B, uh, you know, random, randomised controlled test, but it's pretty close. You know, so our league position was the same. We'd had hopes of the playoffs didn't make it, but our crowds were up 45%. So this notion that fans only care about results, they don't care about the experience, is just nonsense. So absolutely an emphasis on infrastructure. And that that, as you say, it's been huge in the last um 12 months because because of the brickfields so the brickfields is a over 20 million pound project pr- project of which we're sticking in 11 million pounds uh you know and i'm prepared to bet that it's going to be more than 11 by the time all said and done mm-hmm.
2: and it, i think and it just i guess from the outside it felt like there's a number of years of getting us up to scratch and now we're starting to yeah get ahead yeah
1: I think that's right. I think that's right. But uh, that, that that's fair. We are now starting to get ahead. But with, we basically didn't, you know, we've been raising the ceiling and we're continuing to raise the ceiling of what our potential is as a club. And, you know, I think we, so we changed the mission from being sustainable championship, which basically means competing in the bottom half to competing in the top half, which is, you know, basically competing in the top six with aspirations and so on. But that that requires having better players, that requires having more money and it requires better infrastructure. You know, Argyle did not have a gym until last summer. Mm. Think of that, Mm. a a championship football club without a gym. Um, We've now got a very nice gym. Um, We don't have a proper first team training facility. Uh, We've now got Harper's that, you know, is on the list of the, the wish list of infrastructure projects that we've got. Argyle as a club has not invested significantly in infrastructure very much at all over the last, you know, well, since, since Home Park was built in 2001 or whatever, with not not very much shareholder money, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and the next big thing was the grandstand, um, you know, during which time, obviously, as part of the refinancing of the club, we lost Higher, higher Home Park, uh, which we've now brought back somebody's somebody's str- somebody strangling a cat.
2: So, yeah, I'm on the, on the, on the set the Sopranos here. Sorry, I, I was
1: going to say. I think, I think, I think, I think, we should have a quick vote on who,
0: who present is the most likely to be strangling a cat,
1: and I'm voting for Chris.
3: You've got a new five-year mission. It fascinates me the the jump in ambition. The wording of that mission infers. There's 21, 22 other teams spending ludicrous amounts of money and they'd spend Mm. more if they could. Clubs have been in the Premier League or built their 30,000-seater stadiums years ago and have good training facilities. So the ambition is to go toe-to-toe with them, try and do it by making the money that we spend, but also building all our infrastructure that we need to catch up with them and investing in a team. It sounds like a very big, ambitious ask but you've had yeah, your
1: well so did so, so did being a sustainable championship club when we were in league two i got I don't have a problem with ambitious asks I you know in some ways that was one of the reasons why we decided that you know just being a sustainable championship club didn't show the kind of ambition that we want to show not just to our fans but internally you know we've got a lot of really good executives now who want to feel that they're part of something that's you know I'll use the word growing The other thing is that I think the risks of relegation have risen, partly because so much money is being spent in the championship. Our original mission was to be sustainable in the championship. So we are going to go toe-to-toe with the big boys. We're We're not saying we're going to aim for being in the top two. You know, we were very careful to say, you know, top six. And that's because I really do look upon that as competing at the top end of the championship. And then, you know, the randomness hits and you'll make it to... playoffs and then with more randomness you could end up in the premier league um yeah we've been very clear though that we've got a lot of things we can spend money on that would help create a better future for the club raise the ceiling so you know we can increase capacity in home park one day we're doing the brick fields for the academy for the women Um, harper's is going to be the base one day for a training center you know and so on and so on and so on all that requires money. We'd also like to increase the amount of funds available for our player trading pool. So, you know, we put an amount of money into the player trading pool for the first time uh, at the end of last season. And it's had fantastic payoff, obviously, yeah. both in terms of results on the pitch and in terms of value created. Mm. Uh, we think we are good at that. We think we have a competitive edge at that kind of... Uh, Simon, Simon,
0: can I just ask you, player trading... Is that, ju- yeah. is that just a fancy word for buying and selling or is it more it? Yes, yes. No, sorry. Trading is
1: just a short word. It's a shorter word. It's a less fancy word for buying and selling. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's why you're chairman. It
3: uh, very, um, very quietly became a thing, didn't it? That week where Morgan and Barley arrived. it yeah. was. I, I think most fans weren't expecting million pound transfers to be made.
1: No, no. So we literally made a decision... I mean, we had a pool of players that we were interested in and we literally put some money aside to acquire a portfolio of players. And we're kind of looking at it as a portfolio. So we put X million in and we'll value that at the end of the season, not by goal scored, but by whether they've created value in that portfolio. Mm. So yeah, it was a it was a discrete decision made, you know, during the summer transfer. So Morgan, Morgan's
0: yeah. done that, hasn't he? <laughs> I think it's fair to say. Well,
1: Morgan's done that. Well, funnily enough, I mean, I think this is one of the things that we found. And um, one of my reservations about it was that there's no model for valuing players. Mm. Everybody confuses value and price. You know, there's an easy way of pricing players, but the market is crazy. The market is opaque. Uh, So it's a difficult market, but that makes it very inefficient. And that means that we, by being smart, can exploit those inefficiencies. And I think we've demonstrated that, you know, we can do so in a single season. But, you know, if you can acquire for relatively modest amounts of money players who are going to, you know, play a large number of minutes in the championship, you've increased value just by doing that. So we'll continue, at least continue, maybe expand.
0: Can I ask you? We've talked about a lot on the pod, so now we can have a new voice uh, talk about him. The story of Morgan Whitaker, as someone, or as the Argyle chairman, how how has it been for you to watch that develop from twelve months ago being recalled to turning down bids from Lazio and captaining the team? It's been a hell of a, journey, yeah. a hell of a journey. In a nutshell, what what are your thoughts and feelings on it?
1: Well, as chair. <laughs> As a fan, I mean, I love it. I love, you know, and I'm in a very privileged position. that I get to chat to Morgan occasionally. Mm. And, you know, my wife gets to know Rachel, his partner, and so on. Mm. Um, so as a fan, I probably know even more than you do what a wonderful young man he is. Mm. Um, it's kind of making me well up just thinking about how we've taken this kid who is having, you know, problems that, you know, really quite severe problems. And we've found him a happy place. I mean, I'm very proud of that. Mm-hmm. And I think he's responded by talking about how he's in his happy place. And that's why he's scoring all these goals and making all these assists. Mm-hmm. So I'm really proud that we've done that. But, much, you know, in some ways more important, that, that's a mixture of that's that's Chairman Kwe Fan. As Chairman Kwe Chairman, I'm delighted that our recruitment and our methods of valuing players and uh, increasing value is, has worked so spectacularly well. And by the way, it's worked well with Barley and Connor as well. Mm. They're also part of that portfolio. Absolutely. And you could even add in Lewis Gibson. You know, we've created value out of all these players that we've acquired. That is going to be an important part of our long-term strategy. Yeah. Tom was making the point that I'd like to get back to about how are you going to compete when people have such huge budgets? Okay. Well, we've always said we're going to compete by being smarter. We, in any division we have played in in the last five years, we've not had anywhere near the biggest budget, and nowhere near. Um, you know, we're the lowest budget by a long shot in the championship, as far as we know. We were, you know, when we got one hundred and one points last year, we were mid-table budget. And I think we were probably bottom of the top third in League Two, something like that. We've had consistently at best mid-table budgets. We've won more games in the English Football League in the last five years than any other club. Not bad. So this this works. You can compete. Interestingly, the inefficiencies, the correlation between wages and points is the lowest Certainly was last time I looked, lowest in the championship of all the divisions. So there's more nonsense goes on in the championship, more bad decision making that you know accrues to us. You know, long may it continue. Mm. It's going to be to our advantage if we 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 don't need to be perfect at decision making. We just need to be a bit better than everybody else.
0: Mark, Simon, yeah, it's amazing Uh, we signed Whittaker and Ballywumba and Hazard, and um, just with my journalistic hat on, was there simply no funds left to? perhaps buy Finn
1: Azaz at that time was that correct we we put aside a discrete amount of money and there's always going to be the next player that you're not going to buy that's always going to be the case and Finn was the next player and with hindsight do I wish we'd stuck in another you know whatever it would have taken to buy him of course but you know I wish I'd like wish I'd a million bucks on the winner of the Grand National.
2: My version of data says if you've done that, he'd have broke his leg on the first day of the season. <laughs> but, but there's this kind of serious point in that, right? There is also, it's there's, not the same as an asset. as, as a... It's not,
1: they are assets, but they are assets. Well, you want them to be assets that you can add value to, but they're always assets that can go to zero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that will be part of the decision with, you know, Morgan, you know, you know, one, one day, I, I, if we get the right bid, I mean, any player's for sale. The notion the notion that a player is not for sale at any price is ridiculous. No. And everybody knows it's ridiculous because you just ask yourself, if you're offered a billion quid, do you sell him? And the answer is yes. So it's just a question of price. I, I, that's unfair. It's not just a question of price. Mm. You know, in the case of Morgan, would you want to send Morgan Whitaker to Lazio? I wouldn't feel comfortable
0: myself that's really interesting because when we talked about the interview process and what were the non-negotiables so to say you mentioned that you wanted from your candidates yeah. a, an ability to empathize to essentially be kind of socially yeah. literate yeah. and intelligent and it's in yeah. you're, you're really practicing what you preach then there with morgan you yeah, yeah. Saying, no yeah? that's
1: true no oh well i'm I've, I've this has been my mantra through my professional career it's like if we say we're going to do something we bloody well do it mm. <laughs> people who've never I've, part of my wedding speech to my most fortunate daughters is um you know you should fail sometimes if you haven't failed you haven't taken enough risks and i think you know it's great to see ian foster taking that on board immediately he shares that you know F- Fozzie will make errors he'll take risks that don't work out and god bless him he gets, gets our backing all the way
0: speaking of ian foster could you tell us as much as you're allowed what has impressed you thus far what impressed what why what made him the standout candidate yeah. and what has impressed you so far a month or so into his job it's yeah. gone pretty well yeah. hasn't it it's gone pretty well yeah
1: it's, it's a very small data set yeah um so we had three candidates that all met you know that met all the criteria and i'd have been surprised if we hadn't been ha- wouldn't have been happy to hire any of them Yep. Yeah. and you know they all interviewed well they were you know, really good people I think, you know, they met all our criteria. Part of me says, just toss a coin. Don't even bother to interview them, um, <laughs> which sounds ridiculous. But well, it's a, I'm, a, I'm a great believer in, I think people spend too much time on very close decisions and not enough time, you know, where you may as well toss a coin and not enough on the process of getting down to the final three. You know, we spend a lot of time on the process of getting down to the final three, at which point you'd be happy taking any of them what really what really made foster stand out with two things uh, three things firstly you know he he's not experienced in the championship but he is an elite on the grass coach you know he's part of the fa's elite coaching program he coached at you know elite level at the football association which has put a lot of emphasis on youth coaching over the last 10 15 years so this is a fantastic on the grass coach as was shui by the way so you know that that's one one thing the second thing was that um he is actually very well-rounded he spent he spent time as a sports therapist he's done you know lma the league managers association courses as well as on the grass kind of coaching courses so he has a very well-rounded sense of uh what is required for a first team coach and you know we were careful to call him first team coach but you know in some ways he's better qualified to be a manager maybe than Stephen was Mm. um so that that get that gave him the edge and then the final thing was you know the fact that we were doing this in january when we were you know in a bit of a you know on the edge of let's say a relegation scrap and we wanted to make sure that he could hit the ground running in terms of empath- empathising with the players and, you know, getting their attention very, very quickly, which um, by all accounts, he's he's uh, managed to do. Um, you know, the other two were slightly, uh, I mean, great candidates met all the criteria, but I don't th- I think they'd have taken a little bit more time to win over mm-hmm. the players. I um
3: I wrote a note making sure the players don't look at the M6, basically. Exactly. But, um, I don't know if it's in the five-year mission at all. I've heard you say about it, about that we have this identity, it's attacking football. I think yes. that's still the case. Yes. But he's certainly come in and improved the defence and has out-of-possession experience. Has, yes. has he got slightly more free reign to decide what he needs to do to win matches, or is he still very much under instruction to entertain?
1: Uh no, he's under instructions to maintain that attacking philosophy. Um, he has chosen to tighten up the defence, but you know, I know, we, I know, we um, want both we, ideally,
3: look, but I mean, um...
1: yeah, I mean, I think, I think everybody, I speaking as a fan as well as owner, I think we wanted to tighten up the defence. That you know, the Watford three all was fantastic fun, but no way, no way, no way yeah. to sustain a football club. Yeah. You know, it's like Ian said, it was a bit like a basketball game. You know, we'll we'll have a go in your final third, then you have a go in our final third in the middle. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's, let's leave that alone. So I think he's done two things, really. We've started scoring goals from set pieces, small, tiny data set, but we've already scored two. And by the way, our XG from set pieces was already higher in January, apart from, you know, the two goals we've scored from set pieces. The second thing is that he's emphasized during training sessions, defensive shape and the pressing system. So our out of possession football is more organized than it was now. You know, that's that's as I understand it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I don't really understand football, but I just watch it like the rest of us but that's what that's what they've told me
0: so. <laughs> there's so much we could go into there. It, i'm just delighted he's doing well like he's a small data set but it yeah, looks me too. it it's looks so, like it's going yeah you got the right map. it looks
1: like it's going well the reports i've had back are that the players they already like him he's prepared to make changes he's not afraid to make changes if he thinks it's necessary mm. so you know it's not going to be completely smooth sailing but um his on the grass ability, as the footballers like to say, is tremendous and his preparation is tremendous, as was Shuey's, hmm. you know. So I think we've got a good one here. Hmm. And, and by the way, he's a really nice bloke.
0: Yeah. He seems it. It comes across on the,
1: he, uh, I had breakfast with him on his first day, which was the first time I'd seen him since the interview. And you know, I said to the board afterwards, you know, this guy's even better than we thought when we hired him. Mm. So I mean, I'm I'm really pleased. He's a he's a nice bloke, and I hope he behaves himself because he's staying in my flat.
0: <laughs> wow, uh, Simon! Unfortunately, <laughs> on that bombshell, we've run out of time. It's been it's been really fascinating. Speaking to you, and um, I'm really thankful really, really thankful. Well,
1: thanks for your support. Thanks for doing the podcast. It's been great. <laughs> I've enjoyed it.
0: That's all right. It's, it's not investing money in the club, but it's um something, <laughs> some, something we enjoy. I, we need we need to get you on again. We can ask you about the corners. Oh, <laughs> don't get me started in the corners. Yeah, no, I'd love to. Right. Well, Simon, thank you ever so yeah. much for your time. There was one thing I wanted to ask you. When you and Jane are sitting in that grandstand now. Is there a bit of you or, or both of you looking at each other and thinking, what have we done? What has happened in a positive sense of the word? Oh God, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We've always, it's like who'd have thought it moments. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Cause I think yeah, yeah. us as, us yeah. as fans, right, Tom, we're, we're constantly having those moments over the last five years and it's been, a, oh, it's been a dream. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. I love it. And I, I do take some credit for it, but you know, it's just been, it's been a remarkable, um, in some ways, you know, what I was telling you about Argyle Green and the kind of slight stresses that it imposed, that being the most traumatic, because there, there's been a tremendous sense of togetherness at the club. Mm-hmm. Um You know, we, we, we broke, we, there were, there were silos at the club and we've broken them down and people now communicate different departments much better. Yeah. Um, You know, we're obviously not, not great mates, but, you know, we, we'll go for a beer together. We chat together. We, um. We like each other and that that's been very satisfying. So it's been a real team effort. No. But no, absolutely. I mean I look around and so I'll tell you a story. So my mum came to a game. My mum's ninety and she used to play football in the fifties and she's an Argyle fan. Mm. And um she came to a game and she's we're about to go and she looks at a program. She picks up a program that's on the table in the boardroom and she says, Oh, Oh, she said, can I take this home? And I'm like, you can take anything you like. I own it. And she goes, what? I'm like, yeah, I own it. It's all mine. Oh. And I feel a bit like my mum sometimes.
3: (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Pilgrims podcast. Follow us on X or set the push notifications on wherever you get your podcasts.